Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insight. I did a dueling questions with Nat Turner, the new CEO and managing director of Collectors Universe and PSA. We had a good conversation, went back and forth with some questions. I had some for him, he had some for me. Thanks, sponsors, Top Spinning and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's my back and forth with Nat Turner. I'm not sure he needs any introduction, but again, an outstanding collector, sharp guy, and really steering the ship at PSA, and I wish him great success. Welcome, Nat Turner. We're going to do dueling questions, and you're a batting leadoff here. Awesome. Yeah, first of all, it's an honor to talk to you. Beckett got me into the hobby back in the 90s. My first question is historical. What got you into the hobby back in the day? <laughs> I think the distinctive that I have that many people don't have is when I was 11 and a half, Christmas at my grandparents, my grandmother brought down my dad's cigar box, shoebox of 30s and 40s cards and gave them to me. Talk about a great Christmas present. That <laughs> probably changed my life. He had Gaudis. He had almost a complete set of 40 play ball. And uh, here I was, a kid that grew up in the late 50s. And this was 1960. It made me realize that card collecting was not just a neighborhood thing. I think most grade school kids do better if they're given an aspirational goal. And it wasn't to have all the cards or to price all the cards. It was just, hey, this is a cool hobby. And this is something that I could pursue with some passion for the rest of my life. Obviously, I, I already had cards by then, but they were new cards, tops cards. Really glad that my grandmother gave me the best Christmas present ever. Okay, my turn. You need no introduction, I think, but you're most known for some of the glamour cards that you have and the fabulous collection you have. Are there non-glamour cards that, that you're pursuing? I'm a long tail guy. To what extent are you long tail or have diverse collecting interests other than headline grabbing fabulous cards? Yeah, I'm actually doing a lot of sets. So my collecting is, is pretty diverse. So I collect certain players like LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, kind of generational athlete folks. I collect vintage baseball. I collect mainly Hall of Famers, individual players, but I also do certain sets like 59 tops, 75 tops. One of the less known sets in the new world is a 75 tops mini, which is one of my favorite sets. And I collect wax, boxes, packs, mainly wax packs. Although I do collect cello and some other kind of oddball stuff that people maybe don't find as mainstream. And um, the big one I'm doing these days actually is off the beaten path or less collected complete sets of rare parallels from the 90s and early 2000s. PMGs are, I think, relatively well-known, the precious metal gems. I'm doing stuff that people probably don't care as much about. Rubies or the Rave set from a lot of the Fleer Skybox parallels, early gold refractor sets like 99 Tops Finest, 03 Bowman Chrome gold refractors. Like I'm paying $5 for the commons. And it's fun because those sets are special to me. I could care less if they appreciate in value. I just think it's a fun chase. So It is a chase. It's a challenge. It's not just a matter of money. Okay, your yeah. turn. Your turn for me. Yeah. What do you think of the modern hobby, meaning not everybody's a true collector? There seems to be a lot of people coming in who are approaching cards as an alternative asset. A lot of startups that I think are building upon your work with pricing prediction and trying to really make this a stock market. How do you think about that with cards? I think there's a spectrum. I'm not talking about autism or anything like that, but there's a spectrum from collector to investor, somebody that's strictly in it for the money to somebody that cares not at all about the money. And wherever you are in the spectrum, I think people need to move toward being comfortable with where they are and being, mm -hmm. being adaptive. Just because somebody's a pure investor right now, they're not stuck in cement. And just because mm -hmm. they're a pure collector now, if they have a health problem or their family has a health problem, they may strike a different tune. Mm -hmm. With respect to the 
pretty incredible value that uh, if they've collected wisely, as you have, even in these other things you're doing, you're moving toward rarity, toward things that are not quite as common. Those things will, I think, always have some interest. If you're going after things that are very common that everybody has, not so sure. If you would like the hobby to double in the next three years, we'll be disappointed if it takes five years to double. (laughs) But it's on track to be doubling every three to five years. That's great. But is there anything you can do or I can do or you could help me or I could help you to achieve that because that would be a great eventuality. It's already a great hobby, but with the influx of new people that we've seen in the last year, how do we keep that going? What are the positive things that leaders in the industry can do to make that a reality? Three mm-hmm. to five years, doubling the industry. Yeah. The biggest one I think a lot about, which you're honestly the, not to date you, but the godfather of is content. I think there's a, a severe lack of good content in our hobby. New people, I get it all the time. Friends, hey, I want to maybe dip my toes into cards. Where should I start? And right now you just say, go start looking on eBay or various auction houses or that's where it stops. Or I send them 20 or 30 people to follow on Instagram. I don't want to say walled garden, but it's very intimidating to people that aren't currently in the hobby. I'd say PSA, we have the sports market report. I think we can do a lot more there. I think you obviously with podcast and with Beckett itself that you founded, but there's a lot of options. But I think there needs to be a lot more contributions from people who know what they're talking about, putting the time into explaining, hey, what are the best ways to build collections? What are the traps and pitfalls that the new collectors follow? How does grading work? What cards should you grade? How do you think about value? How do you think about the pricing cards? If you go on eBay, for example, a lot of cards are priced asymmetric information where the buy it now price is five times what it probably you know should be. If someone hits that bid, yes, the seller got away with one, but the buyer is going to have a really bad taste in their mouth and then they leave the hobby. So that's what I'd say. Transparency is another big one, but this is something we'll be doing more at, at PSA, just talking more, being more open about what we can and can't do, how the process works is a good example. When we kick a card back to you saying we can't grade it, explaining what our error codes mean when it's in six or in nine, what does that actually mean? It's buried in our website somewhere. We're going to be a lot more forthcoming and I would say open as to what those things are for new collectors. I live in Texas and back when I started long, long time ago, <clears throat> There was a feeling that the hobby was like the Wild West. (laughs) People didn't want to bring law and order to the Mm -hmm. Wild West. They liked the charm, the dynamic element of the uncertainty, the the excitement. But I think you and I probably agree to grow. There needs to be a little more order and uh, a little more systematizing so people will not get burned. So I I like everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Just do more of it. On a really good track as well. Okay, just do more of it. Okay. From a technology perspective, what do you think is missing out there as far as products or software that collectors have access to? It's a double-edged sword. Collectors like friction. Investors do not like friction. So some of these tools that are trying to reduce the friction, that's not pleasing to collectors. It's pleasing to the fractionals, but making it easy for somebody to look something up means they don't have to know anything. They just know how to look it up. Hmm. I worry about our American education system. <laughs> kids, They don't have to learn Spanish. They just need to have an app that uh, instantaneously translates. But they don't really understand. They, they don't understand the meaning of the language. It's just words. So that's the fear that the apps, the tools, the digital space with such a fast response, you won't have to know anything. It'll just be instantaneous. And that'll reduce some of the charm in the industry. So there's a balance there. For the six-figure and up cards, then yeah, you want all the tools you can, everything. But for the for the cards that are under 10 bucks, you can't be looking them up. And regardless of what I say, 
progress is marching on. And uh, you're acquisitive. <laughs> My old company is acquisitive and others are uh, starting things. We will see. It's an exciting time to be a collector. That's true. Okay, my turn. You collected as a kid, right? Oh, yeah. You've been very successful. Hats off to you. Some people that are very successful go back and forth between attributing their success in some part, not in full, but to lessons they learned with sports card collecting in general and sometimes our magazines in particular. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking you for a, a nuanced answer. Can you split those two out for me? that when you were a young person and you're forming these ideas about business and enjoying the hobby, was it mainly about the hobby and the magazines were catalytic or was there something special about the magazines that transcended the, I'm trying to ask that in a non-narcissistic way, yeah. <laughs> but I'm really curious because I really yeah. worked hard and we wanted that to happen. But, mm -hmm. but, but do you think that our magazine had anything special or was just frosting on an already delicious cake? <laughs> I think it was really important. I remember where I was sitting in my dad's leather chair in his office when I was five years old and I had a Ken Griffey card. This was 1991 and we had looked up. It was not his main rookie card. It was like the 90 leaf. And we would go to the bookstore and your magazine was there. It's a romantic, nostalgic thing for me where we'd go and it didn't get delivered. I guess we weren't subscribers. And my dad, we were like the wealthiest. We'd go buy a magazine and we would track that King Griffey card. To me, that's what taught the concept of an asset where the, the price can fluctuate. That translated into me becoming obsessed over understanding the cards, their value. But I'll be honest, the best part of the magazines wasn't the price changes. It was the actual editorial content and the top 10, the hot cards. And so I still have all the copies from when I was a kid. I saved every single one. They're stacked up in my mom and dad's house. I saw them over COVID when like a lot of people, we you know retreated. And I've gone through them and I see my notes in there. I had certain Beckett's in plastic sleeves. I had cut out top 10 lists and had check marks on the ones that I owned. I had binders with price changes that I was tracking. And this is when I was like seven years old. And so I personally think that was very formative, both for uh, business and, and kind of the romantic charm of the hobby. So at least for me. So you're not really clarifying it for me. You're saying it was an integral part of your hobby experience. Mm -hmm. and, I, Absolutely. and I, I take that as a compliment. And I, I just... Wondering if it could be separated out. There were people that learned a lot and enjoyed the hobby that didn't get our magazine, but probably not that many because we had a pretty dominant market share. Okay, your turn again. And thank you for that answer. Yeah, no problem. So what do you collect? Do you still collect? I see a lot of cards behind you. Where's your passion? My passion for acquiring cards peaked a long time ago. <laughs> I have enough cards. I have more cards that I would put out if I could deal with the cards that I already have. So I need to be winnowing. I've said that. So I, I love cards. It's very difficult for me to sell cards. It's easy to buy cards. And I still buy some. <laughs> but I like to buy like a collection where you don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't like to buy individual cards. I like yeah. the, enjo the enjoyment of buying something and seeing what's there. And Fair enough. Uh, but as I transact some of these cards that aren't as valuable, I can put some other valuable ones out. I, I, most of my valuable stuff is at the bank. The, the yeah. really valuable stuff and super secure there. My wall of fame would be another level of stuff, but then there's backstock and I have too many cards, Nat. I don't know if that's like you <laughs> have only great cards, but I have great cards, but I have some not so great cards. I need to get rid of the not so great cards. So I'll have more room for the cards that, that I really care about. Fair enough. Okay. I'm older than you, but you've already accomplished a lot at a young age. I had accomplished a number of goals by the time I was 29 where I thought, hey, I've made it. But I think you've probably accomplished a lot of goals that you would have set 
from when you were a kid. I have new goals now, but they're not financial. They're just some things I want to do. But were there goals that you've reached that you've had to move the goal line farther? Because it sounds like you're doing what you really enjoy, but still there's a scorekeeping about making money and you have partners. So any goals for collecting or just in life? Because you're not even in your second half of life. I'm in the third period, as the hockey fans would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this might sound a little weird, but I really don't plan my life in goals. I don't think further than six months out. Typically, I'm very opportunistic. I, I got asked the question recently with regards to Collector's Universe and PSA. Last March, during COVID, like everyone, I was at home working and I had this revelation. It wasn't some grand you know, plan with a goal I'd written down. I was just, hey, I, what do I want to do next with my life? What do I love? I love cards. I'd love to find a way to have business interest in cards so that I can enjoy while I'm working <laughs> the hobby. And again, this is a little obnoxious, but at a certain point, I had achieved financially more than I ever thought. And that's a few years ago. I'm very fortunate where being in charge of Collector's Universe, I'm not actually that motivated by the money anymore. Honestly, it's more of a passion to improve the hobby and to build things. Of course, I want our investors to, to get a great return and myself, of course. But it's not the number one driver like it was in my prior companies, which is, I think, again, lucky, but it doesn't cloud my judgment as much as it used to. I used to make business decisions very economically based. But honestly, a lot of my goals are more focused on the personal side with collecting. I have not slowed down. I have certain goals related to wax purchases that I want to make or acquisitions I want to make. I want to complete the PMG Green basketball set. That's probably my number one collecting goal. I have nine left. I can name all of them. I've next year. But yeah, I, to be honest, it sounds a little weird, but like my goals are more on the personal collecting side. I resonate with two things. He said, I also try to be opportunistic. I enjoyed that in business. In spite of being a numbers guy, I'm not a goals guy. I want to make sure we're heading the right direction. Good things happen when you're going the right direction. The man in the house of cards. The man.